1: hello everybody welcome back to another episode of decoding the unknown as always hello there i'm your host simon wamad here one of my script writers in this case danny from uh danny mostly writes almost exclusively writes for another channel that i do called brainblaze and he was like simon i'd love to write something a little bit longer form for decoding the unknown and i'm like all right danny you do what you want man i'll, I'll like i love reading your words so just just do it and uh, deliver it and i shall read it and that's what we're gonna do today the curse of the crying boy painting I'm vaguely familiar with this. Isn't this some like stupid like urban legends? I think it's based out of the UK where there's like a painting of a crying boy And then like every house that this paintings in seems to burn down somehow And I think it's just like all a big coincidence I feel like maybe I've talked about this in another video before which is why I know about this Or maybe it's just like read it in the newspaper when I was a kid or something. It's it's honestly I think it's pretty silly out of the gate. So let's just jump into it and see what we've got. Way back in the midst of time, a group of primitive London dwellers gathered by the River Thames to finally rid the world of an ancient evil. The source of the evil was lurking in a series of cursed paintings, which were now being ritually tossed onto a raging bonfire by scantily clad women in a bid to send the demons back to the bowels of hell from whence they had spawned. The women had to be scantily clad. It's like, how are we going to break this curse? Well, first of all, the women need to be mostly naked. And the women would be like, why is this we really need to do? this get your clothes off women <laughs> this is the past you don't have a choice when was this in the mists of time so yeah back in the day it was a curse which had first come to light in the old haunted mining town of rotherham in south yorkshire really this is where danny's from i know so much about i, I mean i don't but i feel like I, I know a little bit about danny's life because he often like mixes it into the brainblaze videos and he's from rotherham so uh yeah most But i feel you know if you're a regular brain-based viewer, you, you you know that, but obviously this channel is not that channel. So I thought I'd just fill you in, okay? In South Yorkshire, we're going to strike fear into the hearts of dozens more victims over the years with a particularly cruel taste for the lost souls of northern England. <laughs> Does that just mean all the people from the north are lost souls, Danny? Uh, yes. But had this mass burning by the River Thames finally vanquished the ancient evil forever... Well, I say ancient evil, the pictures were first painted in the 1950s. The ritual burning had taken place on Halloween night in 1985. Danny, this is hardly the mists of time. (laughs) I was 1985, a couple of years before I was born. The mists of time. Way to make me feel old, Danny. Thank you. And the primitive london dwellers were all employees of the sun newspaper including the scantily clad women who were more frequently spotted posing topless on page three that's right yeah this is a bizarre british anyone who's not british finds this very strange but it doesn't happen anymore apparently but the sun newspaper is like the most popular tabloid in the uk and on page three there was always just a woman with the breasts out that was like a feature of the newspaper page three woman with the breasts out weird right definitely weird And it was earlier that same year that the Curse of the Crying Boy painting first reared its tear-stained head in Rotherham and unleashed a blaze of tragedy on any victim foolish enough to display the picture on their wall. My own hometown of Rotherham has always been a notorious hotspot for unexplained paranormal activity and unfathomable mysteries which have baffled the world's greatest minds for centuries. Now, you see, I wouldn't put that down to Rotherham being some sort of supernatural hotspot. I'd just put that down to the people of Rotherham just not having enough entertainment. Maybe they need a new multiplex cinema maybe there are not enough pubs maybe there's too many churches that sort of normal shit. also i love cursed like the idea this is <laughs> i talked about it a previous episode and people thought it was a bit strange but i would be like yeah if there was some house and everyone was like this house is haunted no one wants to live in this house this house is filled with the ghosts of murderers um so it's going real cheap it's like you know some old castle in the countryside and they like yeah we'll sell it super cheap because it's so haunted i'll be like I'll take it because ghosts aren't real. And I'd move in and live in that house completely happily and there's no such thing as ghosts, so I'd be totally fine. How it relates to this. If there's some cursed... Can you imagine if there was a cursed Picasso and no one wants this cursed Picasso? I'll be like, I'll have that cursed Picasso. It's super cheap. I'm going to put it on my wall and you know, what, you know what will happen? Nothing. Because curses are not real and i'll just be enjoying my cheap cursed picasso and the mon- the value of it will really go up because i'll never talk about the curse because nothing will ever happen and people are like oh i guess the curse is broken and then when i sell my cursed picasso i'll be super rich because picasso's worth like, hundreds of millions of dollars it'll be great brilliant why are so many of the citizens still walking around in shell suits in 2022 why does simon find the name so difficult to pronounce wait what's wrong with rotherham isn't that how it's said rotherham rotherham Oh god, now I don't even know. I just always assumed I was saying it right. How many midnight murders were committed by the Rotherham Subway Troll, and why were they covered up by the press? And how come I only got third place in the Rotherham Junior Science Fair competition, when she was clearly the best and the others were so s <laughs> I don't know, Danny, that's one of the mysteries that we will never solve. We may never discover the answer to all of these burning questions, but it's possible we might dig up an answer to the question of this particular burning. You see, Ron and Mayhall were a bit upset when the House of 27 Years caught fire one day in 1985. This would be so annoying. Like, I know, obviously I've got an insurance policy on on my house and all of this stuff, but it's like the amount of effort you put into s***, sh- and it's like, okay, okay. So, are you going to pay me back for my time insurance company? Because I spent a lot, you know... I spent time sitting down with people who make kitchens and choosing shit, which I don't know why. I don't know why that is my life. Nowadays, like, my wife is mostly happy to, like, handle that because she realises that I just don't care. I just want it to look nice. And, uh, but it's like, Is Are we getting that time back? Because I just feel like, oh my God, there's there's forest fires now and I have a house in the countryside. And I'll be like, oh God, if the forest fires come and burn it down, obviously I'll get the money. So I'll be all good. But it's like, I like it how it is. (laughs) I don't want to have to rebuild it. It's going to take so much time. The modest terrace council house is situated in the village of Swallow Nest in Rotherham and it's believed that a neglected chip pan was the source of the blaze which ripped through the bottom half of the house and totally destroyed almost everything in its path leaving a trail of ash where important things like furniture and curtains used to be. Well look Ron and Mayhall if there was one thing that was hammered into me as a child it was make sure there's batteries in the smoke detector wear a fucking seatbelt and don't leave your chip pan unattended. Are you insane? That's where that's why houses Get, don't, and also don't fall asleep with a cigarette in your mouth. Nowadays, I think this is all less risky because we've kind of solved these problems. Except for the smoke detector thing. Keep putting batteries in your smoke detector. But it's like, what's going... Come on, you, are you leaving a chip pan unattended? You, your house should burn down, to be honest. I say almost everything because a single item inexplicably survived the incident unscathed. A painting of a crying boy had been flung from the living room wall onto the floor and appeared to show no signs of damage at all, not so much as a scorch mark. And this unnerved poor Ron and Mary, particularly as they'd been warned about the dangers of that painting beforehand. Ron and Mary be like, Oh yeah, no, it's the crying boy painting that burned down our house. I want to give them a northern accent, but I I can't. My nan was from York. Yorkshire accent. No, that's not it. I'll I'm not even going to try, but they're from the north. So imagine they're speaking northern. And <laughs> um, and they'll be like, no, it's this haunted painting that burned down our houses. It's like, or it could be that chip pan that you didn't attend to that caused a fire. Which everyone knows causes fires i once made i didn't have a chip pan and i just had a big wok and i wanted to fry this giant fish that i bought i was a student we lived in a student house and me and my mate were like we we're just in the supermarket there's a giant fish and it was on sale it was cheap and so I'm like should we buy this giant fish And it's like, how are we going to cook it? We didn't have anything big enough to have this giant fish. And it's like, we've got a massive wok. So we bought like five litres of oil, filled up this massive wok with oil and just stuck it on the stove and just got the oil super hot and dumped this fish in it. And it was crazy. Like there was steam and oil everywhere over that kitchen after we were done. It was was lucky we didn't burn down the house. It wasn't ours, obviously. (laughs) The whole story was first reported in the local newspaper, The Sheffield Star, based in the city right next door to Rotherham. That's the city where my nan is from. Sheffield is like an extended version of Rotherham with even more homeless people and an even bigger McDonald's. As the roving reporter for The Sheffield Star revealed in his piece, Ron's brother was coincidentally a firefighter called Peter, who had tried to to raise the alarm when he first spotted the painting on the wall. Peter had advised his brother to take the painting down as he recalled several spooky cases in the past where a painting or print of the crying boy had been found mysteriously intact following a devastating house fire he seemed convinced that the paintings were somehow responsible for causing all the fires in the first place and that the boy in the cursed picture frame was left laughing while crying in the faces uh, in the faces of the owners by gloating over the carnage of his own creation i kind of feel like i want to put a picture of the crying boy there on the background just to like fuck with the curse because it's obviously not real just go print one out after this and just put it on the wall (laughs) ron and may ignored the advice at the time presuming that peter had been going a bit overboard on the magic mushroom stroganoff again (laughs) but although peter wasn't called into action himself to douse the flames of his own brother's subsequent house fire peter's firefighting colleagues had raced to the scene and backed up the story to the sheffield star fire station officer alan wilkinson explained that he had logged no less than 50 similar cases dating back to 1960 uh 73 in which a painting of the crying boy had been found completely untouched in the aftermath of a house fire that pretty much had torched everything else, including the plaster on the walls on which the paintings had hung. I just imagine this, like, crying boy, you know, painting. It's like, soon, you know, you know you've got those, like, fancy tiles on the bottom of the space shuttle? Strip them all off, NASA. That's a waste of money. Just go po- put posters of the crying child. Just, like, put them on, you know, like when people go around town and they put, you know, posters for upcoming gigs on big boards around the town. Just do that to the bomb. the space shuttle and you'll honestly be totally fine because that's how science works although he didn't believe the supernatural forces were at work he couldn't offer the paper a logical explanation either his wife had a go though she told the paper that she believed the tears of the crying boy put out the flames of the fire well it's the best we've got to work with so far (laughs) it's also nonsense Whilst Alan Wilkinson might not have been silly enough to believe in curses and superstition, it's interesting to note that when he later retired, he politely refused to accept the parting gift offered from his buddies at the brigade, a framed painting of the crying boy. It's like, yeah, 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 look, I'm the least superstitious person in the world, but it's also like, (laughs) I don't like this ron always hopping there that the painting was entirely responsible for burning down his house curiously choosing to overlook the fact that it had been started by an unattended chip pan, he ranted to the sheffield star i want to burn it to make sure it doesn't come back if i find out who painted it i'll sue him good luck with both of those things ron yeah <laughs> your understanding of the law ron is well look you're gonna go to a lawyer and they're gonna be like sorry mate that's not how it works here's a bill <laughs> Very little was actually known about the artist or the origins of the painting at the time. The artist was presumably Italian Giovanni up Bragolin, or at least that's the name that appeared at the bottom of the pictures. The confusing thing here is that Giovanni had painted more than one of them. In fact, there were 65 different variations of the crying boy in circulation, each one depicting an innocent young boy wearing a sorrowful expression as his eyes brim with tears which begin to trickle down his cheek. It's said that the boys in question were reacting to anguish in the turmoil of the second world war still very much fresh in the memory when the paintings were completed in the 1950s what they did know for certain at the time is that the paintings suddenly became massively popular in the UK from the 1970s onwards particularly in the north of England over 50,000 prints were sold and put on proud display in living rooms of unwitting victims there's no I mean okay so here we go it was extremely popular and that's the first thing it's like those okay so so we can't explain why they weren't burned like the rest of the stuff i'm sure there's a logical explanation but we can certainly say why they were present at so many house fires and that's because they were present at so many houses and this begs the question why on earth did so many people want an image of a clearly distressed child next to their chimney breast i can see why you might want to decorate your interior the beautiful landscape or a bowl of flowers or a stunning sunset to help elevate the mood of a room but why a visibly upset child? Why not go one step further and start putting up pictures of a pensioner with the cold barrel of a gun in his mouth or the remains of a spattered cat on the motorway? <laughs> I don't know, Daddy, because those, like, a crying child could be, like, ooh, mysterious, interesting. Whereas the cat, like, the, the insides of a cat are just like, oh, that's something I don't need to see. <laughs> it's different. Not that I would hang this in my house. I mean, not because of the curse, just because it's ugly. Perhaps adorning your walls with misery is just a weird northern thing. I can remember that my family had our own unique version of the crying boy on display for years, but the disturbing thing in this case was that the crying boy was me. <laughs> what? A photographer visited my nursery, where well, we called it play school, to take individual portrait shots of all the little boys and girls, which would capture the glorious innocence of childhood. But it's clear from my own photograph that I wasn't that it wasn't taken. With that I wasn't taken with the idea one little bit. And yet, rather than damn the result and yet rather than dump the result in the bin where it clearly belonged my parents were happy to give pride of place on the mantelpiece to this photograph of their teary-eyed little son looking forward to a future of anguish and wretched sobbing sobbing at least it always gave visitors something to laugh about i kind of feel like that's also the point like it's there's way more story about there's a picture of crying danny than there is about just danny you know young danny looking goofy in a school picture You know, that's more interesting, (laughs) I remember. Every year at school, or no, it wasn't every year, it was every four years or something, there'd be a whole school photograph. So every single, there were like, I don't know, what, 500 people at the school? Every single member of staff, every single student would go out onto this huge, like, thing that they'd rig up. And everyone would stand on it. And then a photographer would take pictures. (laughs) There was one kid. And they'd take loads of pictures so that they'd, you know, have a good one. And there was this there was one kid who had every single one just did a face like, ah <laughs> with his tongue sticking out, his eyes absolutely wide. And every single photo was like this. So the one that they had to use <laughs> had him in it like this. And then he got detention. But it was extremely funny. And that picture was on my wall, like the whole school photo on my wall at home for years. And I'd always look at this kid in there and just laugh about this. And that brought me so much more joy Than the picture itself, which is just all of us just standing around, looking all schooly and bored. (laughs) But this is one part of the mystery that we can answer right now. The reason the crying boy mainly targeted people in the north is that Northerners were the ones who were buying it in droves. You could snap up a mass-produced print very cheaply in stores like Woolworths, and the Northerners of the 70s and 80s felt that the painting introduced a bit of elegance and sophistication into their homes. Yeah, nothing like a print. (laughs) It's introduced sophistic. Not that there's anything wrong with prints, like unlimited run prints. But it's not what I would call, like, sophistication, exactly. God, I sound fucking snobby, don't I? Although there were occasional reports of the curse striking elsewhere, the majority of tragic incidents were located in the north, with at least three in Rotherham alone. And it's right back to Rotherham we go now to see the flames from Ron and May's house fire as they were fanned in ways that nobody could have predicted. The national media don't usually take much interest in stories from the local press, largely because local headlines don't tend to get much gripping than women fights, hat in tree and cat hops into delivery van. Yet yeah, local news drives me potty. I remember watching the news as a kid and you'd be like, okay, interesting interesting story there's a war there's uh big things being done in government there's budgets stuff like that you're like okay interesting and then it's like and now local news and it would just be about the same amount of time dedicated to insanity that you don't care about and it'd be like the local Woolworths is now uh you know it's closing down it's like who gives a oh my god pulling up to Mickey D's just for
0: drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra
1: But Kevin Mackenzie, the editor of the tabloid Tat The Sun, was intrigued enough by the Sheffield Star's chilling story to run it in his own paper under the headline, Blazing Curse of the Crying Boy. One of the images of the Crying Boy painting was cleverly captioned, Tears for Fears, the portrait that firemen claim is cursed. In fact, none of the firefighters on the scene had ever claimed it was cursed, but The Sun doesn't usually get fa- let facts get in the way of a good story. No, they don't, allegedly. The response from readers was electric. Although it was originally intended to be a quirky one-off piece, the story ended up running for six weeks as the sun became flooded with phone calls and letters from readers who had endured their own terrifying experiences with the Crying Boy painting. This is like a video going viral. You know when like, I make a bunch of YouTube videos? You guys know that. And then like one will pop off and you'll be like, oh my god, like sarcophaguses or whatever. Like you do a video about a sarcophagus and it goes mental. And then you do another video about a sarcophagus and everyone loves it. This is like the tabloid equivalent of that and it's just selling so many papers The times don't change. It's so crazy. A pizza parlor in Norfolk had been destroyed by a fire which had obliterated every single painting on its walls except for the painting of the crying boy. A woman from Surrey lost her home to a fire just months after buying a print, and two sisters from Kilburn claimed that they had witnessed the painting swaying from side to side on the wall shortly before multiple fires broke out in their home. Oh my god, these all sound so true and definitely not coincidence or lies. Some of the stories were slightly more ludicrous than others. Mrs. Farrington from Preston pondered, since I bought it in 1950." my three sons and husband have all died i've often wondered if it had a curse i'm sorry to tell it to you but people die it's not got to do it also what's that they did they die in fires <laughs> one mother from pag pag oh my god place in the uk i've never heard from uh, heard of which has a weird name Hagnanton claimed that her eleven-year-old son had somehow managed to catch her private parts, had somehow managed to catch his private parts on the picture hook, whilst another reader blamed his slide into depression on the purchase of the painting. Well, maybe she should just buy something a bit more cheery, like not a child crying, like literally anything else. Maybe a cat run over on the motorway. Maybe depression is likely to be on the cards if you're the type of person who thinks that a picture of a crying boy is going to look quite jolly above a fireplace. Yes. Another big concern was that the paintings didn't really appear to burn. Security guard Paul Collier told The Sun that he'd been scared by all the horror stories and had attempted to burn his two copies of the painting. By tossing them onto a bonfire and leaving there for over an hour, he was alarmed to discover that they hadn't even been remotely affected by the flames. mate you got to get those paintings over to NASA ASAP. After six weeks, panic was starting to take hold as readers began looking to the sun for a solution to the nightmare paintings that were impossible to destroy. One idea was simply to give the painting to somebody else and pass on the curse to them, but that one sounds a bit mean-spirited to me. Another idea was to hang a picture of the crying girl next to the crying boy as an additional set of tears would cancel out the curse. Of course they would. I really don't know why anybody just suggested hanging the pictures the wrong way up. You can work wonders by turning that frown upside down yes or alternatively in realistic worlds just throw them the f- in the trash just put it in the bin come on by the end of november kevin mckenzie from the sun felt that he'd come up with a better idea to destroy this fire hazard once and for all after reporting the latest stories of further crying boy blazes in a house in rotherham an italian restaurant in great yarmouth Calvin. kelvin, kelvin oh, i'm sorry was i calling him kevin this whole time his name's actually kelvin i'm sorry kelvin Kelvin had left a message for his readers. Enough is enough, folks. If you're worried about a cry boy picture hanging in your home, send it to us immediately. We will destroy it for you. And that should be the back of any curse the ultimate plan was to destroy all of the prints of the crying boy in a huge bonfire on halloween night but kelvin's logic appears to be a little twisted here the whole point of the Crying boy curse is that the paintings can't be destroyed by fire so kelvin's clever solution of burning them in a fire kind of contradicts everything his paper had been reporting for the previous six weeks well I've got news for you kelvin what's gonna happen is you're gonna put them all in a big pile and you're gonna set them on fire and they're gonna burn absolutely fine and with no problems especially if you like throw a bit of like gasoline on there get that lighter fluid those little white blocks they use for starting a barbecue it's going to be fine it will burn and if it doesn't take it to an incinerator where it definitely will Still, the readers didn't seem to spot the flaws in his plan. Yeah, because it's just interesting, isn't it? They'll just have a look at me like, this will be fun, let's see if it burns. It's just a story, it's a fun story. Over the course of the following week, the Sun officers on Bowery Street in London were swamped with over 2,500 paintings sent in by terrified readers. They were stacked in 12-foot high piles across the newsroom, making it difficult for the staff to move around the workplace. Two weeks later, the headquarters of the Sun burned down. No, it didn't! I made that up! Obviously it didn't. Now call me a doubting Thomas, but I have a hunch that Calvin McKenzie was just treating this as a glorious marketing stunt for his newspaper rather than a genuine attempt to eradicate a curse. Oh my God. You what? Danny, no. How can you be so cynical? How can you, how could you say that? How could you say that obvious fucking truth? Yet it appears that even he was getting a little bit spooked by the tears of the crying boy. When one of the Sun's reporters took it upon himself to actually hang one of the pictures on the wall of the office, Kevin snapped at him to take it down immediately. Was the curse even getting to Kelvin, or was he just grumpy that somebody had moved the portrait of Winston Churchill that was supposed to be hanging there? <laughs> really? He was. <laughs> They're weird. He was certainly faced with a problem now on how exactly he was going to shift these 2,500 paintings that his staff were tripping over in the office. His original plan was to set fire to them on the rooftop of the Bowery Street offices, but that was blocked by local fire brigades who refused to cooperate with such a silly venture. Yeah, you can't have a massive bonfire in the middle of London, mate. You gotta get a van, take them all out to the countryside, maybe to some big farm somewhere, and just set them on fire like a normal person. That's what we do let's go maybe they were also secretly concerned that the planned destruction of the paintings would do them all out of a job in the end Calvin settled for a nice quiet little bonfire by the river thames accompanied by a team of page three girls whose job it was to toss the paintings onto the pyre this is a publicity stunt 101 it's it's brilliant They didn't have their baps out during the stunt, as this probably would have posed additional safe and health and safety hazards. But the Red Hot Page 3 beauty, Sandra Jane Moore did pause to reveal her own dubious story of how she'd been helping a friend decorate her new flat and had cheekily defaced a crying boy print hanging on the wall by printing red spiky hair on top of his head. If I was moving house and someone deck added graffiti to one of my paintings who was supposed to be my friend, I'd be like, bro, what the fuck did you do to my Picasso, you asshole? That was the cursed one that's going to be worth loads of money someday, you dick. The good news is that although it took a little while to get going, the sackfuls of completely indestructible paintings did apparently burn to a crisp on that night, making a mockery of the very myth that the Sun had been perpetuating. For the next trick, I would have loved to see them solve the problem of runaway killer piranhas by drowning them all in a giant bathtub. The following morning, the Sun triumphantly reported the story under the headline, Crying Flame Ball Sun, you and your clever headlines, which claimed that the newspaper had finally nailed the curse of the weeping boy for good, They even dragged out reluctant firefighter to deliver the reassuring quote i think there will be many people who can breathe a little easier now yeah you paranoid people who believe in curses definitely true that's that's not untrue yeah (laughs) silly i think the newspaper may have been jumping the gun though it's not as if they had managed to track down every single copy of the painting in existence punching the numbers into my sinclair pocket calculator i reckon that there would be roughly another forty-seven thousand five hundred of the damn thing still hanging on a wall poised to strike at any minute despite the sun's claims the curse may be far from over but what was the more rational thinking behind the curse why was this specific painting so closely associated with so many house fires and why was it always the last boy standing long after the flames had died down to a smolder well i think the answer to the first question as I mentioned previously is just there's a lot of these paintings in a lot of houses so they're going to be involved in more house fires the second one i don't know i'm going to say like coincidence and like confirmation bias like firefighters go to a house it's burned down stuff is going to survive and sometimes this painting survives because there are lots of them and they note that more often than all the other random stuff well, let's get some of the more sensible explanations out of the way first. One theory is that the spirit of the boy was trapped inside the painting, and he was purposefully starting fires in an effort to destroy the frame and escape the confines of the picture. Yes, yeah, sensible ones, eh, Daddy? Another theory is that the boy was the son of a family of witches who objected to the quality and the gloomy tone of the picture. <laughs> and another suggestion is that the artist Giovanni Bragolin made a pact with the devil to sell thousands of copies and become fabulously wealthy at the expense of other people's tragedies. Some even say he. He was once spotted on brazilian tv confessing to the satanic pact roy vickery of the folklore society had his own theory which he was happy to share with the son. he reckoned that the boy posing for the picture had been mistreated by the artist in some way and now he was exacting his all-consuming revenge on the world well that doesn't make sense why he's like angry at the artist not at the people who either i suppose because they bought his painting but they didn't know it's also ridiculous. But by far the most popular theory emerged many years later, in 2000, following the publication of a book called Haunted Liverpool written by Tom Sleeman, a self-proclaimed investigator into all things supernatural. In the book, Tom revealed that a retired schoolmaster from Devon named George Mallory finally managed to track down the original artist Giovanni Brigolin in 1995 to get his side of the story. Giovanni Brigolin was apparently a pen name for the Spanish artist Franchot Seville who was living in Madrid. The artist explained to George that he'd come across a street urchin wandering around Madrid in the 1960s with a sorrowful expression on his face and decided that he wanted to capture this boy's visible heartache on canvas. A local Catholic priest had then warned Franchot to steer clear of the young boy, who went by the name Don Benito. Supposedly, Don's parents had been tragically killed in a house fire, and every day since that, fires began to mysteriously erupt whenever the boy, wherever the crying boy roamed. Okay, so far so realistic, the crying boy could just be a little arsonist, a little fire starter. Franchot told the police to stick to fairy tales from the Bible and proceeded to paint portraits of young Don Bonillo, whilst offering him welcome accommodation in his studio. Shortly afterwards, Franchot's studio burned to the ground and his career followed suit as former customers began to regard him as a jinx or alternatively the uh the arsonist boy who lives in his studio burned down his studio because he was an arsonist also i'm still not sure i buy this because it's from the paranormal investigators and always like well they're just let's just say their penchant for research is just not as strong as regular people because if they do that then they quickly find everything falls apart an angry friend shot accused don Maneo of setting the fire of but of setting fire to both his studio and his career and kicked the eternally sobbing young boy back out on the streets, never to be seen again. Years later, in 1976, the book reports on how police in Barcelona responded to a tragic car accident in which a vehicle had crashed straight into a wall and exploded in a ball of flame. The body of the driver was charged beyond all recognition and was never officially identified, but the police found a tantalizing clue in the glove box, a fragment of a driving license which bore the name Don Benio. The crying boy was clearly a fire genie who was destined To go out all wheels blazing, but who would leave a fiery legacy within the paintings that he posed for? (laughs) It's just beyond silly. Even though this theory is regularly regurgitated on the internet, you're welcome there are a few problems with it not least the fact that well it's complete bollocks it is Danny I'm so surprised by this what news David Clark is an investigative journalist who wrote a piece for the 14 times which comprehensively debunked the story as fiction and pretty much exposed the book's author as nothing more than a big fibber this is the thing with these books right and, like, whether it's supernatural or, like, crystal healing or all of this bullshit, I, my mother-in-law buys into all of this nonsense. Like, uh, heal your body with, you know, the grain diet and all of this this junk. And I'm like, this is... When you write a book and you're a scientist and you're basing, you know, it's like, oh, we got to base it on fact, there's all of these studies. Imagine how much research there is to do. If you're the guy who's writing the crystal healing book, you're just like, yeah, grab a bit of amethyst and rub it on your face boom done and it's like it's easier there are people who are gonna buy it because they're just taken in by your stupid scams it's such bullshit these people are fucking terrible and they exploit people and all of this oh my god there's a there's a latest it i'm not even going to talk about it this is my personal business but it's just i just find it so exploitative of people who believe in this stuff and it's just like i just hate it it's just a big scam the original pictures were painted in the 1950s and the 1960s there's no evidence to suggest that either retired schoolteacher george mallory or the boy don manio ever existed and even if the fictional school had managed to track down the original artist in 1995 whose real name by the way wasn't either giovanni brigolin or franchot seville the subsequent interview wouldn't have been particularly infor- informative as the artist had been dead for 14 years the spanish artist's real name was bruno amadio and much of his life is still shrouded in mystery. He never really took much pride in painting the series of crying boy pictures, but he quickly figured out that they were his biggest seller by far, so he carried on churning them out under the pseudonym of Giovanni Bregolin to avoid any direct association with them or whilst raking in the lucrative profits. The pictures, how I feel about videos about ancient Rome, to be honest. Am I interested in any way after making a thousand videos about it? No, not really. Do I continue to make videos about it because people watch them? Yeah, I do. Because it's called business. And I like... What I don't... I don't particularly find them interesting or like making them. I do like that people watch them, though. And I do like that I get paid for it. So, hey-ho. <laughs> do I have to be interested in everything I'm doing? No. The the sort of people... I don't know it's this privilege that you get when you're in a creative career it's like oh no i only want to work on projects that i thought i watched a really long video youtube video the other day. it was really good i'm not going to name check it here because i'm going to criticize it a little bit but it was it there was one really privileged moment in the video where the guy was basically saying like you should oh as a youtuber you should only be creating things that you love and he was, but the video was also about whether it's possible to make a living off YouTube and all of this stuff. And I'm like, why? Well, if you're only making things that you love and not considering what the market wants at all, I mean, look, making a living as a YouTuber is probably not going to happen for you. It's extremely unlikely. I'm sorry, but like, you've got to give you if you really want to try, you've got to give yourself a good shot. And you can't just make shit that you think is nice because no one will like it. I mean, it's much less likely. That's really taking your chances, which were small anyway, and making them infinitesimally small. And I feel it sounds like such a privileged thing. (laughs) It's like such a, uh, like, I should love what I do and get paid for it. How many people are really in that position of loving what they do all the time and getting paid for it? It is very small. It is very, very small. I think I'm very lucky in a position where 90% of the things that I do, I really like doing and I get paid well for it. But to be like just making stuff you love and expect that to make you a living is that some privileged shit right there otherwise the video was really good <laughs> it was really long it was just that one small part of it got kind of rub me the wrong way but everyone is entitled to their own opinion so where the fuck were we because i'm so lost the pictures were particularly popular overseas, which is how tens of thousands of them ended up at discount stores in the UK. But The Curse of the Crying Boy wasn't even restricted to the 65 variants painted by Bruno. When those page 3 girls were setting fire to all those prints, they were also burning pictures of crying boys which had been painted by other artists, including Scottish painter Anna Zinkaysen. So The Curse seemed to extend to pretty much any picture ever painted which depicted a crying child regardless of its origin. And this goes some way to explaining the fact- part of the myth the reason why so many pictures of crying boys were linked with house fires is simply because there were just so many of them and the rules for inclusion were pretty flexible it's like saying that hundreds of fires occurred in homes which is some type of fridge you don't immediately blame the fridge yes exactly what i was saying daniel except you put it more succinctly and better than i could but that's exactly the point i was trying to get across back in the 1980s you'd be far more likely to blame a discarded cigarette or an overheated chip pan for the real source of the fire unless you lived in the north in which case you'd fall asleep with a lit cigarette in bed while leaving an unattended chip pan burning downstairs and when you woke up in the morning in a fiery inferno you'd immediately start threatening to sue the artist of a painting that you and everyone else had hanging on the wall yes yeah yeah how about a little bit of self-responsibility there guys come on house fires were generally more common in the 1980s anyway thanks to those discarded cigarettes and lack of smoke alarms and dodgy electrical equipment in the home i can remember a time as a kid when a house literally a few doors up just blew up in the middle of the night and made the national news i think it was a gas leak which just blew the top right off the house at 3 a.m waking up the entire street except for myself i just slept right through all the drama thankfully nobody was seriously hurt but the house was utterly destroyed leaving a curious new gap in the neighborhood yeah you see these gaps occasionally especially in london you'd just be walking down a street and it's like you know there'd be a bunch of terrace houses and they're all like nice and old and then there's one ugly modern one and you're like wait why did someone just knock down this one it's like oh because a bomb landed there like during the war like a bomb would just blow up a part of london they would be like well let's put it back together with the shitty post-war stuff you know materials and it's like oh it looks so strange My older brother got the whole day off school because his sleep was disturbed while i got sent to school as usual as punishment for being such a heavy sleeper but none of this explains how the paintings always seem to survive every house fire despite everything else in the house getting reduced to ash british comedian steve punt felt that he might have stumbled across the answer in a 2010 episode of his comedy podcast punt pie which investigated unsolved mysteries whoa 2010 podcast this guy's og after talking to some of the victims of the curse steve and researcher martin ship attempted to get a hold of a copy of a vintage crime boy painting and set fire to it apparently delivery of the crime boy was inexplicably delayed although i suspect this may have been steve just trying to ramp up the spooky tension but here's the funny thing when it finally arrived the picture really didn't burn it was exposed at length to a naked flame, which reached two feet in height, and yet when the picture was inspected afterwards, there was barely any damage at all. Okay, so it's made out of fire resistant material, it's got a fire resistant coating. That's fine. <laughs> Is this the explanation? It seems entirely reasonable. It's certainly more reasonable than a fucking curse. The string had burned to a crisp, and the flames had created a tiny hole in the picture, but aside from that, the crying boy was completely unhurt. Stephen Martin conducted further tests at the Building Research Establishment in Watford and concluded that the painting had been treated with a fire-retardant varnish, which protected it from serious damage. It was also printed on a high-density hardboard, which would be incredibly difficult to ignite. So it would seem that a varnish and hard-density hardboard, rather than a curse, was keeping those crying boys safe from harm what a giant surprise another point to bear in mind is that the string holding the painting would be one of the first things to deteriorate in a house fire, which would result in the painting falling flat on its face on the floor which would offer further protection for the print the high density hardboard wasn't even a particularly new theory some of the clever clever rotherham firefighters had suspected this all along but i mean surely there's going to be lots of other paintings that are also painted on with varnish and high density hardboard right at the height of the sun's high profile campaign chief divisional officer of the south yorkshire fire service mick riley released a public statement which explained that the hardboard was most likely protecting the seemingly indestructible paintings mick was becoming increasingly concerned that the sun's campaign was diverting everyone's attention away from the real causes of a house fire <laughs> he's like guys it's not the painting be careful with your chip fires and stop for fuck's sake smoking in bed you clowns and he felt that homeowners should be more concerned about taking fire safety precautions in the house rather than getting all wound up about a picture. Mick grumbled, fires are not started by pictures or coincidence. Sadly, the Sun didn't give much coverage to the statement, preferring instead to speculate on the alternative theory that the soul of a disgruntled voodoo child was inhabiting the picture frame. Oh my god enormous face palm if only would listen to mick riley rather than a guy who was trying to shift a few more copies of a allegedly shitty newspaper the curse didn't entirely disappear and even relatively recently there have been fresh reports of crying boy house fires around the world including yet more cases in good old rotherham and even today panicked homeowners owners are still hiding the paintings in guarding sheds positioning them right next to fire extinguishers or donating them to charity shops Just to be on the safe side perhaps the mystery hasn't been entirely solved though for starters if the paintings were so indestructible then how did the sun manage to destroy 2500 of them with relative ease in 1985. i would imagine it's a combination of accelerator so you're starting a big fire and then a big bonfire is going to be way hotter like think about it if you hold like a lighter to a glass bottle It's not going to melt that glass bottle but if you've got an absolute raging bonfire and you put a glass bottle into it that glass bottle is going to melt to nothing or like burn or whatever so i imagine it's just greater heat were they even burning the right pictures or were they just largely pissing about? And why was it that only multiple versions of Crying Boy images by different artists just happened to be protected by high density hardwood and fire resist retardant varnish when pictures of anything else always seemed to perish in the flames? And again, I think that probably comes down to the confirmation bias of people just, other firefighters just seeing that over and over again. And so every time they go, they look for it particularly. um I'd just say that that's probably the answer there. Or maybe it just wasn't that common to. Like print on Hardboard back in the day and varnish. Who knows? Ah, uh, what I do know is not curse. There are a couple of final flickering footnotes to this saga. Within months of the Sun's bonfire by the Thames, the paper's pair and company News International enjoyed a painful period of strikes during which print unions began violently picketing the company's new production plant in Wapping in protest of the modern facility, which was pushing traditional printing methods out of the pictures. Out of the picture. Ah, oh, the Luddites, yes, here we go. The tense, unpleasant drama dragged on for a whole year, and the western morning newspaper poked fun at their rivals, suggesting that the crying boy had exacted his revenge on Kelvin McKenzie and his buddies just not in the way they were expecting. Oh my, do I hope that was a joke. Here's an even weirder incident that's completely true. One sensible firefighting friend and early bird myth debunker, Chief Officer Mick Riley, later received an unexpected knock on his uh, the door of his home. It was an anguished local female resident clutching a copy of The Crying Boy and wailing that she didn't know what to do with it. Mick kindly took it off her hands and suggested to his wife that they should hang it in the house, but his wife point-blank refused. So instead, Mick took it into work, mounted it on the wall of the fire station, just for a bit of a giggle. Mick, you absolute legend. As soon as it was spotted by one of his miserable superiors, he was ordered to take the painting down immediately. On the very same day, one of the ovens in the upstairs kitchen randomly overheated for no apparent reason and burned the dinners of the brave crew to an inedible crisp. <laughs> oh, the jokes continue. Hardly a great tragedy, but think of the fire officers who were deprived of their sausage eggs and beans on that day. Could the crying boy still be destined at the last laugh? or at least shed the last tear. And much more importantly, will Simon ever feel brave enough to display the crying boy on the hall of his own office? Danny predicted it. If I once one for free, I heard a rumor that there are stacks of abandoned crime boy paintings littering up the banking next to the River Thames, each and every one of them in surprisingly pristine condition. No, there's not. This has been an episode of the Decoding, of Decoding the Unknown. Thank you so much for watching. If you enjoy this show, please leave it a review Uh Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're watching on YouTube, yeah, it also comes out as a video. Please do hit that like button, make sure you're subscribed, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.